I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship with your host, Claudia Pauls. Welcome to today's program. Dan Moyle, one of our board members and the producer of this podcast, was able to talk with Dr. Lucas, who's an author of the book Better Dead Than Divorced, and also an advocate for domestic abuse victims. We know Dan and Dr. Lucas are going to have some wonderful information for you today. So Dr. Lucas Conandreas, thank you for joining me on I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship to talk about your book and your experience. Thanks for being here. I'm very grateful and happy, Dan. I'm looking forward to answer all questions you have. And uh, the source of my uh, experience comes for an abusive relationship for 20 years that ended up in a homicide. And for 45 years of emergency room practice, I'm an emergency room physician who treated many instances of domestic abuse. Mm. So you have a, a, ver, a varied experience, both professionally and personally then, yeah? I think so, yes. Mm. I, 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 I have it. It's not a pleasant experience, of course, but it is what it is. Mm -hmm. And what about your experience made you want to write a book? Oh, uh, it's a family story, actually. The, mm -hmm. My aunt, or when she was 18 years old, started a relationship with another 18-year-old who was the son of a family with uh, money and connections. He promised to marry her and ask her to sleep with him. After sex, he changed. But her family, my aunt's family, told him to live up to what he promised. Also, the men's family liked the girls, and they ended up married. Then he started abusing her, having extramarital relationships, and also making efforts to hire someone to kill his wife. Mm. This went on for 20 years. And from those he attempted to hire, 11 spoke about it, and in fact, most of them testified in court after she ended up murdered. Hmm. So the relationship uh, from the forced marriage to uh, abuse, to extramarital relationships, and to efforts to hire someone to kill her were known to her because several of those she proposed spoke to her, urging her, leave your husband offered me to kill you. Mm. But I don't want to divorce. I don't want to be the first divorced woman in the community. No other woman is divorced. 
I don't want to be the first. I'm ashamed. Better dead than divorced. Mm. The title of my book is Those Words by Her, Better Dead Than Divorced. Also, my father, who was very close to her, urged her, I have information. He's trying to kill you. Specifically, he asked him and him and her and him. I don't want to divorce. Better them than divorced. Mm. And one night, as the two of them were returning from a dinner party, and they were only about 60 yards from the house where I was asleep, it was 11.15 at night on a Sunday, gunshots, two of them, boom, boom. Mm. Everybody is up, everybody is rushing to help. My father knew what happened and he went there. He died in 10 minutes. My father attempted to return home to get his gun to blow his head, but other men restrained him. Nevertheless, he informed the police they were arrested and months later they were in court where his money and political connections bought the jury. Mm. Nine jurors voted innocent, but one juror, and I know whom, and the book contains his name and whereabouts, resisted hours and hours of pressure and his vote, dissenting vote, gave an opportunity to court to have a hung jury and a second court. Now, during these years, I have a personal experience of witnessing abuse, uh, of what I was doing when this happened because I was very close to her. They, they have no children. And me and my siblings were like her children. And I remember instances of how she was avoiding to talk about it, how she was covering bruises, uh, how she was slipping away from home and all kinds of things. Mm. So the title of my book is Better Dead Than Divorced. And that's the word of the murdered woman. Mm-hmm. How can we, oh, well, are we beginning to change the stigma of divorce and being the first divorced woman or the first divorced person um, so that fewer people think of, of that phrase, I'm better dead than divorced? Have we started to change well, that? Uh, of what I know, in the uh, more civilized or progressive world, that has been met to a greatest extent. Not 100%, no. Sure. But in, in third world countries, it's still a stigma. Mm. Like based on statistics that I know, in the US right now, 50% of marriages end up in divorce. In, in Greece, where I was born, it's 25% divorced. When this story happened, it was only 1%. Now in India, although it's a little bit outdated, the statistics I have, because most marriages are arranged marriage, the divorce rate is still in the single digits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the answer is, I think steps have been made, but it still remains an issue. And how do you think, you know, seeing this firsthand and also seeing it as an emergency room doctor, I mean, what's your opinion, just an opinion, on how we change that stigma? Not that we want everyone to get divorced. We don't love divorce, but that's better than being abused or staying in that kind of relationship or being killed. 
Like what steps can we begin to take to make that change? Well, first of all, I'm not in the first line of defense here. I am when someone is in need for medical care. Mm -hmm. So I think people before me should, you know, take the necessary steps not to come to me. Because when a woman comes to me, most of the time, first of all, she does not report it. Mm -hmm. They come in, most of them between 6 p.m. and 6 a.m. at nighttime. Some of them with mild injuries, uh, usually on the upper half of the body. Um, some of them uh, complain of colds and uh, the underlying reason is abuse. And uh, when I started practicing emergency medicine about 40 something years ago, uh, it was a new specialty. And we're not very aware of domestic abuse and abused women. So we were not even asking the question, are you abused? Does anybody abuse you? Well, what I know, things have changed since. Now, when a woman comes in, especially when it comes frequently and gently, we ask if there is a partner who comes in gently for the partner, to be removed from the room, we tell them, you know, in a moment, we'll call you back in, please. And then we ask very gently, like a question which is oblique, so to say. Uh, we know these days that there is substantial uh, incident of domestic abuse in the world. I want to ask you, is there anything of that sort that happens to you? That's a very beneficial question because in the absence of the partner, it's easier for the uh, abused party to talk. And also, they make them think, uh -huh, I was asked a question and I didn't talk. So the next time they come, they have time to think about it and talk about it more freely. Mm -hmm. Well, that's from my, my view. But, I mean, social services uh, and... Uh, media uh, have the first line of defense here to have people to talk about it and people become aware and to know once and for good domestic violence or abuse is illegal and punishable by law period that has to be the headline of every media and every talk like you uh, for example or uh uh, people who write books, uh, people who are who, uh, social service people, uh, psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, all involved. Mm -hmm. Education, in other words, is very important. And that, can, that can come from a multitude of sources. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like empathy as well, another E word, right? Being empathetic to them. And, and when they come in, you know, talking to them with, uh, respect and with empathy and handling the situation with care to get them to open up. Of course, empathy is the first thing. If you are rushing out, then many times we in the emergency room did. Uh, you know, it's not much different sometimes from what you see in, in different uh, ER shows on television. 
and you want to make a couple of notes and finish out, then you rush out. That's not the way to do a woman who is a victim of, or suspected victim of domestic abuse. Mm-hmm. And by the way, Dan, I keep, I keep talking about women. It's not only women who are abused. Mm. Men can be abused. People in homosexual relationships can be abused. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many forms of abuse, and uh, it spares no gender. Mm-hmm. And there are many forms of abuse as well. It's not only physical abuse. There are many other forms of abuse, like emotional abuse, uh, verbal and economic abuse, mm-hmm. the isolation that sometimes people get to, and those things slowly chip the confidence and the integrity of the person, and physical abuse will follow sooner or later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dr. Condres, you 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 know your stuff. That's absolutely true. Um, as much as we talk about she as our pronoun, it, it is it is not gender specific. It is not uh, relationship specific. Abuse can be between friends, um, family. Like it does, it does cross those boundaries. Um, that's a great point. How how have you found the reception to your book? Is this something that is doing what you had hoped it would do? Uh, most people express surprise and disagree with the title and the message the title gives. Mm. To illuminate that, in my office, I now run in Stanford an urgent care center. And one of my secretaries decided to put a small poster there with a picture of the book. And the book says, of course, better than the divorce. So pe- people get surprised, and they, sometimes they say, what, what the heck is this? What kind of message is this? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and then the same secretary, who was not longer works for me because she went to a bigger institution and away from my hometown, uh, asked, especially women, perhaps in the hundreds, do you agree with the message? Do you agree with the title? There were two Indian women out of a few hundred that said they agree. And why did I say Indian women? Because I do immigration physicals. Mm. And I have seen for many years people from any corner in the world. And of course, that variety in the culture and the subculture reflects of how acceptable the term better than the divorce is. So based on that, I can, too, I can talk like cumulatively around the world and the different cultures, subcultures, and different prejudices. Based on that experience of many women from different ethnic groups and different cultures disagree with the methods, except of those two older Indian women, mm-hmm. that the, the message the book gives, which is a wrong message, is somehow... Uh, received Mm -hmm. from wherever they received the message which should be better divorce than dead it has been transmitted to people all around the world especially women who are most frequently the victims of domestic abuse Mm -hmm. what when when you decided to write the story of your family what did you set out as a goal 
for this? Why, why did you, why did you want to write uh, your aunt's story? Uh, I would not have done it had it not been for my wife, Georgia, who is a doctor of psychology. Mm -hmm. uh, she, she found out about the story from me talking to her and other family members and friends and friends and friends. I knew it was a good story, but a busy doctor with several other obligations and responsibilities and occupations had no time to do that. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, he kept urging me. And when somehow my kids got older, like uh, 15 years ago, when they were late teens or early 20s, I said, maybe I would get, uh, do my wife a, a favor and sit down and write the book. Well, I gave it up within two or three days. I said, I don't want any part of it. But she, here she was. She says, look, keep going. And she then took hold of my first five or six pages. And she says, this is great. This is great. Keep doing it. We're going to screen. So that kept me going and going. And months later, I had almost 700 pages. Mm. Of course, the sources I had were not only from my memories, but I also had court records, official court records from two courts. I had eight newspapers they wrote about the murder and the two courts. And I interviewed 160 people. Wow. So I had, I had, I spent 12 years for this book. So all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, after a few months had 700 pages. Then we knew, uh, my wife and I, who was my editor, so to say, and I would bounce off here a few things about the story. That was too much. And we made an effort to decrease it and make it more manageable. Okay. So amicably, we're able to remove about 250 pages, but still about was about 450 pages and perhaps 160,000 words, which is too big. And quite a few parts of it were irrelevant, so to say. So because there was a point that my Georgia, my wife and I were arguing about what's important, what's not important. <laughs> and that created for a while a stalemate. And then we say, uh -uh, we can't go this way. Let's ask a, an expert. So I contacted a man by the name of William Greenleaf. Uh, William was born somewhere in Chicago and then he moved to New Mexico in the mountains there. He's an author of eight books. Anyway, I asked him to help me evaluate the relevancy of some parts and the relevancy of others. A very nice man, he probably come and we had a heck of a relationship as far as listening to him, discussing it and reaching decisions. Mm -hmm. So with that process in line, we came to have a book of about 80,000 words and less than 300 pages. Mm -hmm. That was the process that was not easy because I had to learn, I had to read lots of other books with the same general with a true murder and uh, uh, social uh, relationships and uh, family relationships. And uh, also another item here, a big one was uh, judicial corruption, which uh, somehow uh, gets into the story. 
So we have this book and uh, the reception here, whoever reads the book really like it. They sympathize with the woman, of course, who was killed, but they also express surprise that she was of the kind that she would say better dead than divorced. Mm. In fact, in some presentations in Florida and here and in some other locations, people insinuate that, that she must not have been a very smart woman. She was extremely smart, mm -hmm. extremely smart, of course, when the murder took place, I was eight years old, but I took 160 interviews, most of them to do well. Incredibly smart woman, uh, uh, incredibly smart woman. Now, how this woman, although uh, she was as smart as I know she was, ended up taking the abuse, not paying attention to the red flag, not listening to people who were telling her, he asked me to kill you. What are you waiting for? Ended up being killed at 11.15 one night. It's, it's amazing. I cannot explain it, but that speaks that you can be smart, you can be alert, but you have at some point less emotions and public outcry about whatever the issue is, divorce women and all kinds of prejudice and take steps and decisions that's going to protect you and your children if you have children. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it speaks to the fact that like, I think kind of what you just said, but to say it this way is abuse, you know, victims don't have a specific intelligence level, socioeconomic level, um, culture it, it it crosses from what i've heard you say dr con andreas it crosses uh cultural lines it doesn't it doesn't matter how their intelligence or not um it's just it just happens and it's hard to get out of that and we need to support them in whatever way we can to help victims become survivors is that fair to say absolutely and uh, not only family members, but people at work on working women. Mm -hmm. If they see someone coming depressed, not unkept, wearing long sleeves, or having bruises on the face that she cannot cover and using uh, mascara, whatever they use, and somehow have frequent absences from work, they should be alert. And they should take steps, not critical steps, but steps to have empathy that you mentioned before and ask the right questions so they can help. Mm. So the lines are education, family members who are closed, people at work, healthcare professionals, social services, media, all that is in the line. Mm. So is one of your hopes for this book to create that conversation around all of this and help uh, end the stigma in any community of leaving an abusive relationship or, or of abuse in general, just ending that stigma and help helping people to talk about it. Uh, of course it is. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a story that it is 100% accurate mm -hmm. and true. Georgia and I did not allow anything that was borderline fictional to enter the story. 
Mm. In fact, there were some, my father was the person who moved this story because without my father, she was an orphan woman. Without my father, who lost all his family savings, uh, my father did for, for justice, uh, nobody will be punished. So uh, there were some family members in the process of writing the book that they wanted me to avoid saying a few things that the opposing attorneys in court called my father true or untrue. And there were a couple of instances. My father make, made a couple of mistakes in life. We'll do. But the family members didn't want to have this written. They didn't want to. And I, uh, I said, we're going to put it because the truth is the truth. Mm-hmm. So to get into the impact of that type of book, totally true story with no fictional element whatsoever. I hope the question you ask is affirmative. I hope people who read to know this is a true story. Look what happened here and look how long it took to happen. Mm. From the time they dated to the time the murder happened was 20 years. Mm. So they will learn from it and hopefully they will not make the mistake my aunt made. So once you finished Better Off Dead and it got that out there into the world and you began to get it into people's hands and hear back from it, how did that feel to get that family story out there? How did you feel as that nephew, as that family member, as the author? What, 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 what were you feeling at that time? Well, first of all, it was a memorial for my aunt, uh, who was a, the tragic uh, uh, person, personality in my story. It was a memorial for my father who went beyond any logic in order to see that the perpetrators and the murderers were jailed. Mm-hmm. It was a tribute and a memorial for the only juror who descended and allowed justice to uh, call a hung jury in the second court. So uh, those are examples that, for example, I didn't mention to within the themes of the of of the book is uh, perseverance and adversity. Mm-hmm. That is exemplified by my father and the only juror. So for me, and to answer your question, for people to see those things happen, which are rare, it is rare for a woman today to say better death than divorce. It is rare for a person like my father to disregard threats against his life. My father used to carry a gun. I remember it. Wow. And also it's an unusual, a very unusual for a juror who has nine other jurors shocking him for hours and somehow lead to his principles and vote the way he did. So I, I hope that from people who read those things and far and beyond the better than than divorce, uh, they will feel good about human nature. They will learn from it. And if they can't do what the juror did and my father did, at least to know to support the weak and avoid the mistakes my aunt did. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I hope that that happens as well. This book is, is I believe, out there to help people see themselves in the story and to help 
understand that you are not alone. Um, for anyone who has ever said that to themselves, well, I'm, I'm better off dead than divorced. This is a book for you. And for anybody who sees this out there in the world, this is a book for you to help others. So Dr. Con Andreas, thank you for, for writing the book and telling your family story. Uh, thank you for being a part of the show. Is there anything that you want listeners to walk away with that we didn't talk about? Dan, I'm grateful and very happy for what you did. I want to know that the book is available besides English in paperback and Kindle, also in audiobook. Also, it's available in Spanish, both paperback and, and Kindle. And the Spanish, by the way, because they are kind of warm by nature and because somehow the, the culture and many people, at least in my area, many divorced women who struggle and many, many abuses based on what they tell me. So for them, it's a good book to read, to feel that they know what happens if they keep saying in any capacity, better than the divorce. And, uh, and that's all I want to say again, grateful I am and happy you had me. Absolutely. I'm glad you were able to make it. And uh, we will put those links in the show notes. So, uh, so once again, Dr. Lucas Conandreas, author of Better Dead Than Divorce. Thank you for being a part of the show. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasasmi.org. That's dasasmi.org or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it, all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.